0: You're listening to God at a Distance, a teaching series from Formation Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. In this series, we discuss how to move through the fear that keeps us distanced from God in order to pursue deeper friendship with Him. For more information about Formation Church, visit our website at formationslc.com. Well, um, a few weeks ago, I started doing something I'm, I'm quite certain that no almost 42-year-old man is supposed to do, which is uh, I started skateboarding with my boys. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I grew up kind of on and off skateboards, but where I grew up, there was no skate parks. We have a lot of skate parks here, so I've been taking my boys early in the morning before school to a skate park. And um, I don't think this is probably going to come as a massive surprise to anyone uh, in the room, but I've had a few what I would describe as fabulous falls, Uh, two in particular that I wasn't sure I was going to come back from. Uh, The first one was uh, I just simply lost my balance going into an embarrassingly small bowl uh, in this park, like maybe two feet, okay? I did not feel cool. Uh, it was at a busy point in the day. If you were like, I wonder if he was alone when it happened. I was not. There was a full audience there to watch this whole thing happen. So I went down the side of this. I just lost my balance and, uh, and fell so hard. Despite the small stature of this bowl, um, it did significant damage to my body. Ripped up my whole left side of my elbow. Um, I hit my head. I had a helmet on. Praise the Lord for that. Um, I'm a firm believer in helmets at this point. And uh, pulled something in my wrist, just like all of this stuff, it was, just didn't feel. I, I, I somehow punctured a hole through my sock into my ankle. And the thing of it is I was wearing stance socks, which you've ever worn stance socks. They're like chain mail. It's virtually impossible. And somehow I punctured a hole all the way through into my ankle and still have this giant wound that's been like three weeks and it's still there. So that was the first one. The second fall happened exactly the same way as the first one. But unfortunately, I thought, you know what? I fell on the small bowl. Let's try a bigger one. And so I fell the exact same way. Uh, Unfortunately, on this day, I was in a hurry. And so I was thinking, like, I'm not going to put on my elbow pads today. I'm just going to go for it because I'm Tony Hawk. And uh, so fall down, hit the exact same elbow. You can't really tell now. It's finally the bruising. It was like from here to here, just black and blue, bloody, ripped open, the whole thing. Pretty sure I sprained my entire skeletal structure. Um, and this was all before school. So it was like 7.15 in the morning. To be wounded before 7.30 does not feel good. So that was my experience. And so I, I, was, I was reflecting on this this week, and I, I realized something. Um, these falls that I've experienced have made me very fearful to drop into those particular spots. as That probably doesn't come as a big surprise, but what's weird is if I step even like a foot or two to either side of those spots where I fell, I feel totally fine. But even right now, as I think about and visualize those exact spots where I fell, I literally feel anxious as I think about going into those same spots. And this has kind of like brought up a lesson for me. And the lesson is this. Fear has a way of fostering distance. Fear has a way of fostering distance inside of us. And by that, I simply mean we are prone to avoid the things that we fear. Agreed? So if you think about some things in life that you're afraid of, like let's say you're afraid of snakes, another one of my fears, Um, and you're at the zoo. My guess is the reptile house is not like tip top of your list. If you're out on a hike or happen to see a snake in a parking lot or something, you're not probably one of those freaks that run over and try to catch it. People who catch snakes I don't understand that at all. That's just mind-boggling to me. But, but the reason that I would not do that is that uh, I'm afraid of them, and we are prone to avoid the things that we are afraid of. And that is why fear is so debilitating in relationship with God. Because if there is something about the character or the nature of God that we are afraid of, and what I'm going to propose in this series is that we actually live, most of us, with much more fear regarding the person and the work, the character and the nature of God than what we are prone to realize. And when we live with that fear, it has a way of fostering distance in our relationship with Him. And that distance destroys any possibility of intimacy. And so here's the overarching big idea that we're going to be wrestling with throughout the six weeks of this series that we're in called God at a Distance. The big idea, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. It's going to be up on the screen. Big idea is this. Most of us settle for God at a Distance when intimate relationship is offered. Most of us settle for God at a Distance when intimate relationship is offered. It is my growing conviction that this is one of, if not the chief problem facing the modern church today. It's that most of us, and I believe that many of us are completely unaware of the, this reality inside of us, but most of us don't really have a relationship with God. We go to church, we learn some way to pray especially when we're in trouble and it feels like the wheels are falling off life. Maybe we read our Bible occasionally. Maybe we've been in some kind of small group or Bible study at some point. But oftentimes, those things end up being more ritualistic than they are relational in nature. And what we have to see, have to acknowledge, have to understand is that what we have settled for is God at a distance, When what he has offered to us is genuine, real friendship in which we hear his voice, we experience his presence, and we know him and he knows us. Most of us don't experience that day-to-day. We have settled for God at a distance because we are afraid for a handful of reasons. And so the question that we're going to wrestle with through this series is how do we face the fear that keeps God at a distance? And this afternoon, I'm working so hard to get over. It's been three months. We've been gathering in the afternoon. I just I'm having the hardest time not saying this morning. So, just you, you know where we are and what time it is. Okay. So, I want to establish this afternoon that, that this fear of God is a universal human problem. This is not exclusive to you. It's not exclusive to me. It's not new to us in our generation. This goes all the way back to Eden. This is a universal human problem. And so to that end, I want to look again at these verses that we just took our Lectio Divina from in Exodus chapter 20. They're verses 18 to 21. And in these verses, so if you have a Bible and you want to open up to Exodus 20, that's where we're going to be. The verses will be on the screen as well. But here's what's going on. God has just given his people the Ten Commandments. He gave them to Moses in the sight of of all of Israel. He told Moses, I want you to call the people to Mount Sinai. There was this threshold there to stay at the bottom of the mountain. You're going to come up to me, and I am going to give you the law. And so that's what's happening in the beginning of Exodus 20. These verses don't really describe the law that God gave, but what the experience was like for Israel as he did it and their subsequent response. And so that's what we see taking place in these three verses. So look with me at Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 again. It starts like this. It says, All the people witnessed, meaning that they saw the thunder and the lightning. They heard the sound of the trumpet and the mountain surrounded by smoke. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. So here's what's happening here. God has drawn near to his people. The people are experiencing God's manifest presence. If you don't know, the Bible talks about God's presence in two different ways. On the one hand, we have what most of us are familiar with, which is what theologians call God's omnipresence, meaning that there is nowhere we go that God is not. So God is here with us in this room. When you leave this room and get in your cars to go home, God will be in your car He will be at home. If you go out to dinner afterwards, God will be there. There is nowhere you go, not one second of your life, in which you are outside of the presence of God. That is God's omnipresence. But there's another expression of God's presence that we see happen over and over throughout Scripture and that we're seeing happen here in Exodus chapter 20, and that's God's manifest presence. That's when God reveals or expresses his presence in a way that is tangible or visible and that people experience it. We go through every moment of every day and we are largely unaware that everywhere we go, God is there with us. But there are these moments in our lives and there have been moments throughout human history in which God has revealed himself in a visible, tangible way and that is God's manifest presence. And so that's what Israel has experienced here is the manifest presence of God. And I want you to notice what it provokes in them. It provokes in them an emotional response, a physical one, and a relational one. First, it provokes an emotional response in that they are afraid. That fear provokes a physical response and that the text says that they trembled, which literally means they were shaking in fear. And then it produces a relational response in that rather than be near where God said at the base of the mountain, they're standing at a distance because they're afraid and they want more distance from God. Now, here's what I really, really want to encourage you with. Rather than judge Israel in this moment, let's identify with them because their fear is incredibly understandable. If you aren't familiar with the Exodus story, here's something very important for you to know. The last experience that Israel had had with thunder and lightning as a sign of God's manifest presence was in the context of a plague in Egypt. So later this evening, if you go read Exodus chapter 9, specifically verses 23 and 26, you will find Israel in Egypt. Egypt is under another plague from God as judgment of their unwillingness to listen to him and to let Israel go and it was marked by thunder and lightning. So here's what's happening in Israel's head. They're thinking back to what happened when they were in Egypt, and they're thinking, oh my gosh, God's about to do to us now what he did to Israel then. So their fear is entirely understandable, and it reminds us that oftentimes our present response is really the result of a prior experience. So the biblical writers didn't have the language for this that we do now, But you know what they're experiencing in this moment is a post-traumatic stress response. Oftentimes, as Christians, we're so removed from what it would actually be like to experience so many of the things in the scriptures. So just imagine being in Israel and experiencing these plagues. I mean, they were preserved from them, but they're still seeing it happen. And it would have been traumatic, to experience these things taking place in Egypt. So, of course, when they experience this thunder and this lightning and this smoke over the mountain that they have only ever seen up to this point in Egypt, as there's judgment being poured out uh, on Egypt, of course, they're going to be very, very afraid. And so notice in the next two verses, their response as a result of their fear. Look at verse 19. They say, you speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. And Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. So what Israel wants in this experience is they want distance. And so they ask Moses to mediate their relationship with God. They say, Moses, you, 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 you deal with God. We don't want anything to do with God speaking to us. It's, it's going to kill us dead. So you go up the mountain, you go into the darkness, you listen to God, you tell us what he says, and we will listen. And so they want space. They want a safeguard between them and God. And so... That helps de-escalate their fear, but it also has the byproduct of distancing them from God. And so Moses attempts here to be a good leader, a good shepherd, and to soothe that fear by explaining God's intent. He's saying, hey man, God is not here to harm you. He's just here to test you. And the reality is that word that we translate into English as test is not really the best word to describe uh, from the original language in Hebrew. Um, of what's taking place here. Because it's not really about, he's not saying that, that God's testing them in the sense of trying to find out something about them. A better word might be experience. So Moses is saying, don't be afraid. God is giving you a taste of himself so that this memory will stick with you and it will keep you from sinning. And so they were afraid that God's intent was to harm them But in reality, his intent was reverential awe that would lead to them learning to trust him in a deeper way. But sadly, the people are completely unconvinced by what it is that Moses says to them. Look at verse 21. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. So just notice in this verse, the two differing responses. Israel the text tells us, remained standing at a distance. They let fear foster distance in their interaction and experience of God. And Moses responded very, very differently. It says that Moses approached the total darkness where God was. Now, this was not Moses' first interaction with God, but I find it very hard to believe that Moses had no fear inside of him at this moment. There's just no way. So both of them are afraid. Israel's afraid. Moses is afraid. Israel bows to that fear. Moses says, I want God more than I want the comfort of not being afraid, so I'm going into the darkness. And we see that both of these these responses cultivate an effect on their relationship with God. Israel settles for a mediated, distance-driven relationship with God, and Moses faced his fear and experienced intimacy. You know that the Bible says that God spoke to Moses face-to-face the way that a man speaks to a friend? That's an unbelievable statement about the nature of Moses' relationship with God. And obviously, Moses has a very unique place in human history, and I'm not saying that any of us are Moses but Jesus came to give his life so that we could be invited into a genuine relationship with God, not one that settles for God at a distance. And so as we look at Israel in particular and their example to us, I think there's a few lessons that we can learn here at the start of this series that we're gonna spend a few weeks in together. So three lessons. If you wanna make a note of these, you can write these down. Here's lesson number one. We must understand God's heart toward us. So important. We must understand God's heart toward us. See, Israel misunderstood God's heart. They misunderstood his intent. They thought that he meant them harm when his intent had always only ever been healing. God even designed this experience to birth reverence and awe so that they would listen to him, so that they could learn to trust him, and they could learn to obey him. They responded in a way that completely missed God's heart. And so let me ask you a question. How often, how often do we respond incorrectly to something that God means to gain our trust and to go deeper with Him because we don't believe His heart is for our healing? Think about how often we might do that. I was thinking about how often we tend to be like kids that misunderstand their parents' heart in some, because they, they make some decision on behalf of their children. So like yesterday afternoon, I took my son Ryder and his friend back to the skate park. Despite my own PTSD, I faced my courage. I went into the darkness to the skate park again, and I sat in the shade in a lawn chair. Um, <laughs> it was still courage. I was still there. So baby steps, you know? So we get to the skate park, I'm sitting off to the side, and I'm watching, and there's just like a hundred kids all over this skate park. There's one guy, this is my favorite, there's some guy in his 50s on his huffy mountain bike with no shirt on but a fanny pack, buzzing around this park. It was just like, couldn't make this up if I tried. And it was just so, I mean, I saw easily 12 near-death experiences in the 15 minutes that we were there. So I finally call the boys over, I go, hey guys, I know you want to skate so bad, I know you were so pumped about this, but this is just bananas, we have got to leave. And of course, there was a look on their face like, why do you hate fun? Why do you want to steal all the joy from our life? And it wasn't understandable, I get it, but but that was just a misunderstanding of my own intent in that. I'm not trying to kill fun, I'm not trying to destroy joy, I'm trying to make sure that you don't die, that's going to be a really sad Saturday for us if we lose one of you at the skate park. But oftentimes, we are the exact same way with God. God allows some experience in our life, and his intent is always to draw us deeper. And so often, we don't want to receive the invitation that he's putting in front of us and we misunderstand his heart and we think that he is either not with us, that he doesn't love us, that he's not good, that he's not in control. And what happens in the midst of that is we misunderstand God's heart toward us. And so the question is, how do we begin to understand and to truly know God's heart more? Well, it's going to require at least two things from us. The first is we need a biblical theological grid through which to understand God's character. And too often, we allow our experiences in life and very often our experiences in childhood with our primary caregivers to inform the way that we view the character and nature of God. And more and more, we have to learn to submit and to surrender those things to what the Bible says about who God is and what he's like. So we need that information in our heads. We need to know this is who the Bible says that God actually is. And then the second thing that we need is we need these contemplative practices like we just uh, experienced together through Electio Divina that help us slow down and actually experience the truth of God's heart. There are entire like tribes within the Christian church that major in one of those over the other, Some movements within the modern church are like experience only, and they are detached from Scripture, and that can get really weird, and that's how cults start, to be quite honest. And then on the other hand, there's some that would say, well, if we would just memorize more Bible, and we would just read more theology, then eventually our hearts will catch up, and we will believe these things to be true. And the reality is, what God invites us to is the integration of both of those things. We need to know what Scripture says about who God is, and we need to sit with that in a way that allows it to actually penetrate our hearts and our minds and transform the way that we understand who God is and what he's like. So the first lesson that we learn from Israel is that we must understand God's heart toward us. The second lesson that we learn is this. And we've already stated some version of this, but this really needs to be clear for us. Fear forces distance in relationship. Fear forces, distance, in relationship. That's true in every relationship in your life. If you have had any person in your life that honestly you're afraid of, then you work to keep distance. If you grew up in a home where you were like, here comes dad or mom, mom's like their home and that means like everybody just be quiet, don't be heard, everybody keep their distance because we don't want to set them off. That fear Fosters and breeds distance in relationship. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. The problem is, I don't think that many of us are aware of the fear that sits as this obstacle that forces us to keep God at a distance from us. But the reality is, some of us really do fear intimacy with God. We fear the reality of really being known by Him. Now, the irony in that is that he knows you whether you're comfortable with it or not. Some of us fear judgment. We don't want to be close to God because we don't want to be condemned. I've had so many conversations. I think this is kind of a generational thing, but I've I've heard people say before, like, oh, I'd come to your church, but I'm pretty sure God would strike the building with lightning if I walked in. I'm like, I've got to tell you. I've been in church for a real long time. I've never seen God strike a church with lightning. It's never happened. And they're filled with sinners. So I think you're going to be okay. But some of us really have this deep felt, oftentimes unconscious fear of being condemned by God. And we think, well, maybe if I keep my distance, I won't have to experience that. Some of us very much fear surrender. We don't want to forfeit control of our lives to God. Some of us fear rejection We don't believe that because of who we are, because of what we have done, because of what's been done to us, that he will welcome us to himself. Some of us fear discomfort. We don't want to be inconvenienced in the ways that it will require for us to actually build a relationship with God. There is no relationship in which you cultivate intimacy in a convenient way. Agreed? Like, There's nothing about real good friendship that's convenient, there's nothing about building a healthy relationship with your kids or with a parent or that's convenient. There's nothing about cultivating a healthy marriage that's convenient. It's hard. It requires us to sacrifice ourselves to get over self. Like, it's hard. And some of us just don't want to be inconvenienced in those ways. And so here's the truth. Allowing fear to rule your response to God comes with a cost. When we bow to fear, we forfeit intimacy. And so in every one of these weeks, as we'll look at these various faces of fear that might keep us from God, we will always be faced with the question, am I going to bow to that fear or will I face it in a way that allows me to move into deeper intimacy with God? Which do I want more? So two lessons so far. Number one, we must understand God's heart toward us. Number two, fear forces distance in relationship. And then finally this, number three, intimacy demands entering the darkness of the unknown. Intimacy demands entering the darkness of the unknown. This was the decision that Moses made. Verse 21 says that Moses approached the total darkness where God was. Moses was afraid too. And he went into that fear, and in that fear, he found God. And so for us, to enter into the darkness of the unknown, where intimacy will be cultivated with God, means we have to identify our fear. We have to identify, like, what is the fear that keeps, God at a, that keeps me at a distance from God? And that's really the whole purpose of this series. We want to look at what is the specific face of the fear that keeps me at a distance from God. So we have to identify that so we can be aware of it and we can begin to overcome it. Secondly, we have to embrace God's heart. We have to have this fear in the one hand, and then on the other hand, have this question that says, how is God's heart contrary to what this fear is telling me? Fear always tells a story. There's always a narrative bound up in every fear that we hold about what will happen in the future. And so we have to begin to embrace how God's heart is contrary to what that fear is telling us. For instance, because of Jesus' sacrifice in our place for our sin, we have no fear, need have no fear of condemnation. Jesus bore the brunt of any condemnation we could possibly experience. And so we have to embrace God's heart. And then thirdly, we have to enter the unknown meaning that we have to be willing to face that, to push through that, and to find God in the midst of it. Because here's the reality. You have to enter the darkness of the unknown to experience the intimacy that you long for, which means we will have to choose courage. And so as we close our time in these verses together, here's the good news. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 say this. There is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. You and I don't need Moses. You and I don't need a priest to mediate our relationship with God. You don't need a pastor to mediate your relationship with God. Jesus has already done that work on our behalf. And as a result, we are invited into relationship with the one true God. And this issue of fear forcing distance is not new, nor is it original to us. As we are going to see, it's as old as Eden. But Jesus wanted his heart crystal clear to us, so he gave his life so that we could have real relationships a relationship with him that is marked by forgiveness, that is marked by healing, and that is marked by wholeness. He entered the ultimate darkness so that we could face our own and that we could find him there. And so by his grace and with his help, let's take the journey from distance to deeper intimacy with God together. Will you bow your heads with me? We're going to take an opportunity to reflect and to respond in just a moment, but Father, I want to thank you that you are a God who loves us deeply. I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, Jesus, that you willingly gave your life in our place for our sin, and that you rose again, making a way for us to enter into healing relationship with you. but we are so in need of your help. Despite what you have done for us, we still live with fear that fosters distance in our relationship with you. And so Lord, as we look down the road at these next five weeks now together, I pray that you would draw us deeper to your, into, your, into your presence, deeper into an understanding of your heart, And that you would help us to face and to fight through these fears that we carry. And so, Lord, we ask and we invite your help. In Jesus' name, amen.